much that mirrors so many of us. When it comes to temptation, we, we play with it, we look at it, we, we pick it up, we hold it, we look at it and taste it, we put it down. We know we're not supposed to do it, we know we're not supposed to touch it, but there we are playing with it and hoping that somehow, some way, we're going to be able to resist temptation. When Jesse was, uh, our eldest son Jesse was a boy, he begged me to get him the Nintendo Super Mario Brothers. Anybody remember that? Yeah. So I think it's about the only uh, video game that I ever played. Um, I wanted to at least uh, be able to play with my son and have some fun with him on that. I could, I, I could never... I could never be as good as him. But the thing that I remembered about the game so much uh, is not so much that I liked it because I didn't, but I remembered that you're given so many lives, and the only way that you could advance in the game, the only way that you could go to the next level is by, by, by conquering or becoming proficient uh, one level at a time. And the only way you could advance is, of course, by mastering these levels. Now, the, the thing that I discovered is that and I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor or just my personality type, but I can't help but see the, the parallels or the similarities between life and the Christian life. And I couldn't help but recognize that, that, that really what you see in, in Super Mario Brothers is really a, a, a pattern for the Christian life. The only way that you can advance in your Christian life, the only way that you can move ahead, the only way you can go to the next level, as it were is by passing the test that you're going through now. And for some of us, we have not grown at all. Some of us are exactly in the same place that we are today as we were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or whenever it was that you became a Christian. I've met up with people that I went to church with years and years ago, people I went to Sunday school with, and shocked to discover that they really were at exactly the same place they were when I last saw them, which would have been in some cases 15, 20, and 30 years ago. My question for you today is this. Have you advanced in your Christian experience? Have you moved forward? Or are you at the same place that you were 10, 15, 20 years ago? Because here's what God wants for you. God wants you to mature. God wants you to grow up. God wants you to become like Jesus. The question is this, is are you? Are you maturing? Are you advancing? If you look at the story of our faith, the Christian faith, it's a magnificent faith. And we celebrate that faith. In fact, uh, we love to talk about this magnificent faith of ours. And TV preachers have made their millions off of this spectacular aspect of the faith. And what is it? Well, it's simply this. It's goodness triumphing over evil. And it's uh, uh, truth triumphing over lies. It's, it's Jesus triumphing over Satan and Christians triumphing over sin. And it's the church triumphing over the world. But running parallel to that spectacular aspect of the faith where we, where we triumph and we're, we're more than conquerors in Christ, running parallel to that truth is something that we don't often like to talk about. In fact, we try to ignore it. In fact, we don't want to discuss it. In fact, we don't even like to hear sermons on it because, hey, and it just seems like, like a drag. We don't like to talk about the testing and the temptation that every child of God goes through. 
Can I just tell you this today? Every one of us here today will go through testing and trials in our life. It's part of the human experience. Everyone is tested. In fact, if we look at the, the roots or the foundation of the Christian faith, we discover, and in case you didn't know this, the father of Christianity goes right back to, to Abraham. We call him Father Abraham. Why? Because Father Abraham, who was also the father of the Jews and was actually the father of the Jews before he was a father of Christians, because Father Abraham was a man of faith. And how do we know he was a man of faith? Because we discover that he passes all the tests. The first test he had was God said to him, Abraham, take your wife and leave her and go to the place I'm going to show you. You remember me telling you this. And Abraham scratching his head and said, the wife's not going to like it. And Abraham goes to his wife and the Bible doesn't say what, what she says, but she follows him. In fact, not only does she follow him, but also his nephew Lot. And we find Abraham passing these tests, obeying God. God tests him, Abraham obeys. And then we get to the supreme test, which we find in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. And it's, this is what it says in verse 1 of that chapter. I'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Did you hear that? God tested. Remember, we all are going to be tested. God tested Abraham's faith. And here's what God said. Abraham. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Now watch this. Because this is a test that nobody here will ever be given. Take your son, Abraham. Your only son. Yes, Isaac. Whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Go and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, here's the thing, folks. Abraham had no idea what God was, where God was going with this. He had no idea... Why God would suggest to him that he sacrifice his only son. In fact, it was through Isaac that all of God's promises to Abraham are going to come true. So why would God test him like this? Folks, listen, listen to Abraham. Abraham does exactly what God says. He goes to Mount Moriah, takes his son, sets up an altar, and he's ready to kill his son because God said so. And you know the story. God stops the hand of Abram. Of course God does not want Abraham to really sacrifice his son, but Abraham needed to be tested. Why? Because Abraham would be the father of us all. Abraham would be the father of all who would have faith in God. And God needed to know that this father of us all would be willing to do the very thing that God was willing to do. And what did God do? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, what we're seeing here in Abraham 
is a shadow, is a taste of what is to come. The great Abraham was willing to to follow our God, our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. My question to you today is this. Are you prepared? Are you willing to follow your Father and do whatever God says? Because this, my friends, is what real faith is. Faith is believing God and doing what God says. So we get to the end of our series on the Lord's Prayer, and the very last petition is this. And let's see, we've got it in the King James Version and in the New International Version, and it says, and lead us, why don't you read that with me? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in the NLT it says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This last petition is all about you and I growing in our faith. It's all about you and I advancing growing up, maturing. This is critical to your Christian experience. Because if you want the life that Jesus Christ has promised, that life, that abundant life that Jesus promised, remember Jesus promised that to all who put their faith in him, to all who believed in him, to all who followed. Jesus said, I will give you that abundant life. If you're going to get that abundant life and experience that abundant life, if you're going to experience the joy of this Christian life, if you're going to experience the peace, ready, watch this, experience the peace of this Christian life, if you're going to experience the miracles and the answers to prayer of this Christian life, then you're going to have to learn to pass some tests along the way. You're going to have to learn how not to yield to temptation. You're going to have to learn how to do things God's way and not your way. That's what this last petition is all about. It's all about asking God to help you follow him. It's all about asking God to help you pass the test. That's what it's about because that equals maturity. Now, some of you have really been taking to heart this new way of praying. And remember what, what Jesus instructs us. He says, this is the way to pray. We mentioned that last week. Jesus is not offering the Lord's Prayer as a prayer to pray amongst other prayers. He's saying, this is the prayer. He says, and when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the prayer that you pray. And this is the prayer that you pray every day. This is what Jesus wants us to pray. And this is what Jesus wants us to pray every day. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My nephew, uh, Jared, was telling me, I asked him permission to share this, but he was saying, well, you know how in every car, your, your, your phone now is synced to the car, and you, uh, and you can actually talk to people. When you're done talking, you push the end button. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's usually on the steering wheel or somewhere. So he says, I started praying on my way to work, and he, no, no, uh, no radio on, but I just pray out loud. He says, I got to work the other day, and by the time I was done praying out loud to God, I pushed the end button. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Listen, folks, this is really what it's all about. It's about you and I connecting to God. It's all about you and I coming before God and having a conversation with him. 
Do you understand what prayer is? Let me take the mystery out of it. It's simply you pouring out your heart to God. And when you pray, Jesus says, follow this outline. Follow this method so that you don't forget anything. And you know the prayer. We begin by concentrating on God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. What are we doing? We're focusing on him first before we focus on ourselves and all our needs. So we come to this last petition in the series, and we're praying, God, lead us not into temptation. So here's what everyone needs to understand is we ask God to help us to follow him. You need to understand that the universal experience of every human being is that we will constantly be tested. In fact, the very first thing we see happening with human beings in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, is we find Adam and Eve, and what's happening? They're in the garden. God has given them instruction. Now look at this. He hasn't given them ten commandments. He, there's no list of do's and don'ts. There's only one commandment, and it's what? It's don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a test. Now God's not tempting them. He's testing them. Satan comes along and does the tempting. And that's the pattern that we will all experience. You will be tested in your faith, and Satan will come along and then tempt you not to do God's will. Do you get it? You will be tested. God will allow you to go through times of testing, but Satan will come along and tempt you not to follow God's leading in your life. And so Adam and Eve, they are confronted by Satan himself and says... God's not really telling you the truth, Adam and Eve. You don't really need to do what he's saying. In fact, God's holding out on you, Adam and Eve. If you do whatever you want to do, then you'll actually be happier than if you do what God wants you to do. Now, isn't that the same methodology? That's the same strategy that Satan uses today. He says this to every one of us, doesn't he? He says, don't do what God wants you to do. Do what you want to do. Follow your own instinct. Follow your own will. Follow your own ideas. Follow your own philosophy. Follow your own desires. And then you'll truly be happy. And you and I, if you've lived for any length of time, then you know that that's the biggest lie that Satan has to offer. It's the biggest lie from the pit of hell. You know that every time you've done things your own way, it's got you into trouble. In fact, if you're in trouble today, it's because you messed up. It's because you didn't do things God's way. Now, I got people asking me for help all the time, but here's what I have to tell anybody who comes to me for counseling or comes to me for help. I can't help you unless you're willing to do things God's way. That's the only thing I'm an expert in. I'm not an expert in helping you have a good life outside of God's will. I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you. But if you're prepared to say, God, I'm going to make you my master, my Lord. I'm going to do it your way. If you're willing to do that, then I can tell you this today, that you can experience the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. You can begin to see answers to prayer. You will begin to see miracles. You will begin to see a change in your life. Things will, will turn for the better if you will come to that place of surrendering your life to Christ. Here's what James says in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Because God is never tempted to do wrong, 
and he never tempts anyone. Satan does the tempting. God does the testing. And here's the thing, folks. Every day you will be tested. Every day you'll be tested to do either what you want to do or what God wants you to do. And every time you do what God wants you to do, folks, it means a happy ending. Every time you do what you want to do, regardless of what God wants, that's when you get yourself into trouble. And there's not a person here today that would say, I don't agree with that, because you've experienced it. And you may be in trouble today because of that very thing. Listen, the teachings of the Word of God, this book called the Bible, it is a manual, a guidebook for life. It tells you how to have a good marriage. It tells you how to have a successful and happy marriage. It tells you how to be a good parent. It tells you how to be a successful parent. It teaches you how to raise your children to follow God. This book will teach you how to be successful at your job. It tells you how to be happy in life. It tells you how to be content. It tells you how to be joyful and peaceful. But folks, it only happens when you do what God wants you to do. Let's go back to that passage of Scripture again, that last petition. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here's, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God's tempting us, but what it does mean is that we need God to lead us. And if you've read through the Scripture, and I think many of you have, here's what you'll discover. The constant theme through the Scripture is that God is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. And because he's our shepherd, he's willing to lead us and direct us and guide us. And when we are getting out of of line, he gently taps us on the side and maybe hits us a little harder if we need to, but he gets us back in track. Now listen to this, folks. If you are staying near the shepherd, if you're letting the shepherd lead you, then you're safe. If you stay near the shepherd and the shepherd is leading you, then you are going to have everything that you need. You'll be constantly provided for. You'll be protected. You'll be helped. And when the enemy comes, when the wolf comes to attack, the shepherd will be there with his rod and his staff, protecting you and guiding you. That's what this is all about. God, lead me. Lead me, God. Don't don't let me follow the evil one. Keep me in track. God, if I'm getting off of track, would you you get me back on track? Would you draw me back to yourself, oh God? You can see why Jesus says to pray this every day. Because we're so prone to wander. The great hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. That's the story of every one of us. We're prone to wander. And Jesus says the only way that you're going to stay on track is by coming before the great shepherd every day and saying, God, lead me. Lead me. Lead me not into temptation. God, protect me. Deliver me from the evil one. And so Jesus makes it clear to us that we've got to be in the habit of praying every day that God would help us to follow him. John MacArthur, the radio preacher, teacher, great teacher, he says this world is a dangerous place. He says until we actually are ushered into the, through the gates of heaven, while we're on this earth, this is a dangerous place to be. And I'll tell you why. It's, 
It's a dangerous place because of the unholy trinity. I don't know if you've ever heard of the unholy trinity. We know what the trinity is, the holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what's the unholy trinity? I'll tell you what it is. It's this world. This world that is so anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Scripture, anti-truth. That's the kind of world that we live in. It's a dangerous place. Does this mean we hate the world? No, we, we love the people in the world. In fact, Jesus calls us to be his agents of hope and life and truth to a broken and hurting world. But this world is anti-God. Don't ever be mistaken about that. It's a dangerous place. And what makes it even more dangerous, folks, is the second member of the unholy trinity, and that's your sinful nature that you were born with. Because here's what I know, because I'm no different than you. There's so many things in this world that are anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible. There's so many things in this world that are attractive. You know what I'm talking about. And your sinful nature is attracted to those things. And that, my friends, is why you and I so often get into trouble. Because our sinful nature is attracted to the wicked things of of this world. And so Jesus says, you got to pray this every day, God. Lead us, into tempta- lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Who's the third member of the unholy trinity? Well, it's the evil one himself. If this world doesn't get you down, then you've got the, your, your sinful nature to get you down. And if that doesn't get you down, then there's the evil one himself to get you down. But folks, I got good news for you. Greater than this world and greater than your sinful nature and greater than the evil one is Jesus Christ. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you recognize today that through Christ we are more than conquerors? And it's for this reason that we need to come before God every day and pray, Oh God, lead us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But God, we need your help to follow you. And here's what I know. I know that when you and I call in the name of the Lord, when you and I ask God for help, when you and I turn to God and say, God, I can't do this alone, that's when God will come through for you every single time. So folks, when you and I get into trouble, it's because we're following our own will. It's because we're following our own instincts. We're following our own lusts. And so often we blame God and we blame others. Don't we do that? You're in trouble right now. You're blaming your wife. You're blaming your kids. You're blaming your boss. You're just blaming your neighbors. You blame everybody, but you don't see it in yourself. And God is saying, look, what you need to do is come before the master and get your heart aligned with him and understand that it's you. It's you that needs to come before God and confess your sin. You say, Pastor Alan, this sounds impossible. Well, it's not impossible. In fact, this is why we read through the scripture story after story of men and women who have passed the test and have advanced in their walk with God. Some of them passed the test most of the time. Some didn't pass all the time. You heard of King David? He called a man after God's own heart. And he had a great track record. He just got it right consistently And then one day, man, he really messed up. And you know the story. 
saw a woman bathing and was tempted. It was actually tested, and then he was tempted. And he gave in to that temptation, and he followed his lust, and he took that woman, and he slept with another man's wife. And when things didn't work out right, rather than, rather than confessing his sin, he ends up murdering the woman's husband. Talk about failing the test. Now, can I tell you this today? Because I know some of you are sitting here today, you're thinking, Pastor Allen, that's me. I have failed. In fact, I have failed so many tests, God. Uh, it's, it, I, I don't think God wants to talk to me anymore. Can I tell you about Peter? Peter, the great Peter, the Peter that the Roman Catholics consider the first pope, and we might see him as the first leader of the church. Peter made a promise to Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Remember that? And Peter made a promise to Jesus. Look, if everybody else deserts you, Jesus, I'm not going to desert you because I'm the one that loves you the most and I'm the most spiritual. We didn't say it just like that, but that certainly was what he was implying. How many of us have done that? We think we've got it all together. We got all our ducks are lined up. We're brilliant. We got a brilliant talent and brilliant skill. Our, our minds are sharp, and there's nothing that we can't do. We can conquer the world. And that's what Peter thought. And he said, Jesus, when everybody else deserts you, you can count on me. I'm not going to let you down. And Jesus says, Actually, Peter, that's not the way it's going to be. You're actually going to deny me. When you've heard the rooster crow, then you know. You know that you let me down. Hours go by. Jesus is finally arrested. Peter, wanting to defend his master, takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of soldier. Jesus heals him. Jesus is ushered away. The disciples now were terrified. They've run their separate ways. Peter, trying to be brave, he stays nearby to watch to see what's going on. Not, tr- not getting too close because he doesn't want anybody to see him and he doesn't want to be implicated. This is the brave Peter that says, I'll never fall. I'll never make a mistake. I'll never let you down, Jesus. I'll stay true. I'll be loyal. Stunning at a distance. The next thing you know, a little girl says to Peter, Hey, aren't you the one that was following Jesus? Yeah, you're, 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 the, you're a follower. You were a disciple of his, weren't you? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Stupid girl, shut up. It's, you're wrong. Next thing you know, she actually swears at, he actually swears at a little girl. Can you imagine that? Ridiculous. And then to his horror, Peter hears the rooster crow, and he knows He's let his master down. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Peter has failed Jesus. Peter has not passed the test. Now, some of us are here like that today. We have failed so many tests. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that maybe your failure is, is truly a spectacular failure, and everybody knows about it. Here's what really matters. What matters is not who knows about this, but what matters is this, is do you know whether or not 
you made your peace with God? Have you come to God? Have you gotten that sorted out? Peter is confronted by Christ after Jesus dies and is resurrected from the dead, just before he goes back to the Father. Jesus takes Peter aside. And he says, Peter. Now, Peter doesn't want to look at Jesus. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed of himself. The other disciples are in front, and he's sort of hiding in the back with his head down. You know how we do it. Don't, I don't want to be seen. Don't want to make eye contact. I've messed up. I've screwed up. I've got to stay away from Jesus. I can't get too close to him. I've let him down. And Jesus singles Peter out. Peter, come here. Peter, do you love me? Peter, you can just imagine, he just breaks down sobbing before the master because he really has let Jesus down. And his action has shown that, in fact, he doesn't love Jesus. I want to tell you, folks, God is a God of the second chance. He says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. I'm so sorry. You know I love you. And then Jesus says this. He says, then feed my sheep. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's restoring Peter. That's what God wants to do with you today. He's restoring Peter. And he asks Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Now Peter is feeling terrible. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times. Jesus asked him a second time, do you love me, Peter? Peter now is, is just sick. His heart's beating. He's thinking, man, I've, I'm losing it now. God will reject me. God will never have me. Jesus will never accept me back. I'm out. Do you love me? And Peter, what else can he say? But yes, Lord, as, as best as I can, I love you. And then Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And then one more time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. What happened here, folks? Peter discovered that he could not go through this life in his own strength, his own wisdom, his own talent, his own ability. Peter discovered that he needed God. He needed God. It was the only way that he was going to make it through this life. And not only does Peter need God, but Peter needs to know God's will. And for Peter... His job was simply this, to feed the sheep, to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be a missionary. Now, here's the thing, folks. God has got something for every one of us to do. And God wants to use you. Some of you are saying, I can't be used by God because I've messed up too much. My life is a wreck. I've I've destroyed my life. I've destroyed my family. It's hopeless. And God is here today to say to you, do you love me? Do you love me?
and do my will. And folks, the only way that you and I can ever hope to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, the only way that we could ever hope to do God's will is by praying this prayer every day. God, lead me. Help me to follow you. God, help me to pass these tests. I'm going to tell you, folks, if you pray this prayer every day, you are going to enter into a whole new phase of your Christian experience. You're going to experience God in a way you've never experienced him before. You are going to become the Christian, the man, the woman that God wants you to be. But you've got to pray. Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. God, help me to follow you and help me to pass every test. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you that there's not a person here this morning that you do not love. God, you know this morning every failure, every mess up, every screw up. You know every problem. You know every selfish decision we've ever made. You know of every everything we've ever said or done or thought. You know about all of it. And yet your word tells us that you do not come condemning or judging, but you come loving. In fact, you've proven your love to us by sending your son Jesus, who teaches us how to live this life, who teaches us how to pray in order to make it through this life. And so, God, we pray right now by your spirit that you would give us the grace and give us the strength to follow you with all our heart. Give us the grace and the strength to pass every test, to not fall into temptation, but to do your will. And we thank you, God, that as we pray that every day, you will be our help and our strength, and we'll be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to call upon the teams who are going to the Philippines and to Garden Hill to come right now really quickly. We're going to pray over these folks. And I'm going to ask the prayer partners who come and stand behind these folks. And uh, we'll only be another minute. And then, folks, right after, we're going to go right out to the back field and enjoy a great picnic together. And I'm going to pray a blessing over the food so that you can go out there and dig right in. I just got a call from Gloria this morning. She left at uh, about, well, just before 3 o'clock in the morning. And she said that they were safe in Toronto and getting ready to fly out, I think, at 1 o'clock to Israel. So that Israeli team, they went this morning, and now this group is getting to go, getting ready to go this coming week. When does the Garden Hill group go? On Saturday, and the Philippines team goes on Saturday as well. What time do you go on Saturday? 6.30. You rest, you better find out what time you're leaving. <laughs> 6.30. You're going with her? Okay. At 11 a.m. So if you want to go to the airport, if you're really uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning, you can see them off. And if you'd like to sleep in a bit, then you can see them off. But we're going to pray in just a moment. Uh, Let's take a look at that video clip, and then we'll pray.
It's exciting stuff, folks. And uh, again, the Israeli team just left this morning at 3. Well, they're at the airport at 3 o'clock. And uh, these folks next Saturday. Uh, what we like to do before we send out a missions team is we like to do what they did in the scripture. And in Acts chapter 13, we discover that before anybody did a missions trip, they were prayed over. They were commissioned to go. And so let me just read to you that passage of Scripture, verses 1 to 5 from Acts 13. And it says, The congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet teachers and preachers. Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, Lucius, Manan, an advisor to the ruler Herod and Paul. One day, as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. And so they commissioned them. In that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyprus. And the rest is history, as they say, because these missionaries, along with others that that were uh, commissioned by the early church. They actually brought the gospel and planted churches all over the world at that time. And so this morning what we're doing is we're praying for the folks going to Garden Hill and we're praying for the folks going to the Philippines. And what we're going to do is just make some promises to God as missionaries and then the prayer partners are going to make some promises and then I'm going to ask the congregation to make some promises along with us. And so um, if you remain seated until we get to, to the congregation, but I'm going to ask if the, this team would close ranks here. And to the missionaries, I'd like you to answer I do or I will as appropriate to the question. And so to the missionaries, I ask you, do you promise to honor God in all you do and say, God helping you? I do. And do you promise to keep your attitude right, remaining cheerful and cooperative? Do you promise to set a godly example in all your transactions, interactions, and travels in Garden Hill and the Philippines? I do. And do you promise to work hard to the best of your ability? I didn't hear everybody say I do on that one. Okay, good. <laughs> Got to make sure. Don't want any lazy missionaries. <laughs> and do you promise to put others first at all times? I do. And just a reminder to everybody, a missionary simply means a sent one. And that's, that's all it means. And we're sending these people out from Cross Church. These are our missionaries. They belong to us, and they go on our behalf. And so these folks are going uh, because some of us can't go, but they're going in our place, and we thank God for them. And to the prayer partners now, if you would do the same answer I do or I will as appropriate. Do you promise to follow all communications and check the status of the mission on a regular basis, daily if possible? Do you promise to pray for your missionary in the morning, at noon, and at night? And do you promise to follow the Holy Spirit to pray for your missionary when the Holy Spirit prompts you, be it at work, at leisure, or in the middle of the night? Very good. The congregation, if you'd stand, please. Do you promise to pray for the Garden Hill and Philippines trip as often as you think of it? Thank you. Will you pray for every aspect of the mission as outlined on the prayer list? Will you continue to financially support the work here at home so that we can do the work in Garden Hill and the Philippines? Will you give financially to the mission as the Lord prompts you? 
Not as many I do's on that one. Will you pray for the missionaries and the leaders of this mission? And everybody say it. Thank you so much. If you would just lift your hand maybe towards these folks, and we're going to pray together for them as I anoint them with oil.